Hello, everybody. Welcome into the College Basketball Bonanza. I'm Nicholas Hodel. Dominic Stern is alongside me. We're recording the day after Christmas. Hope you had a very happy, uh, a Merry Christmas and Happy Holiday. Uh, Dom, uh, surely the holiday treated you well. Oh, it definitely did. I had a good Christmas with, uh, with my family. Got to see my uncle and family. We were outside for the majority of the time with masks on. So got to see family. We're being safe. I hope a lot of other people got the opportunity to do that because it certainly was good to see them. I hadn't seen them since the summer. And so that, that, that was definitely a cool opportunity. And then I also was blessed yesterday afternoon, fantasy teams in the championship for call. I mean, for NFL and Alvin Kamara gave me a nice Christmas gift, 58 points. Uh, I went on Twitter at halftime said, if he scores me 50 points, I'll donate $50 of my fantasy winnings to a charity of his choice. So I will do that. He, I am still waiting to, to hear back from him or someone that he knows so I can know what charity to choose from. If not, I'll just choose some New Orleans, char- New Orleans charity. So that, that was cool. You know, it's a season of giving. Season of giving and uh, winning a lot of money in fantasy if I can hold on. Uh, my, my team's doing pretty well lately, so I, I hope I, I can be able to. But it, it's been a great Christmas. How about you, Nick? You know, it's been pretty darn good, especially when you have four college basketball games on. I think that makes a pretty nice day in and, in and of itself right there. But, you know, the holiday was was fantastic. Just being able to sort of relax for a little bit um, away from some of the grind. I think that was probably the best part of the holiday. And for some teams, relaxing wasn't part of the holiday. They had some games to play. We will start off with some of the games from earlier on in the week that being tuesday a nice little big 12 doubleheader kansas 79 west virginia 65 a very intriguing game and kansas ultimately made sure to really uh, stamp themselves as one of the best teams in the big 12 yeah a couple of weeks ago i came on here and i said kansas needs to work on some stuff in order to be that kansas team that we've seen in the past and they certainly have they've gotten a lot better as the season has gone on ever since that ugly game against kentucky Kentucky, who I'm not sure if we'll talk about later on in the show, has just been horrible. And Kansas, they, they've made vast improvements. Put up 44 in the second half against West Virginia. A lot of that coming from Christian Braun. We've talked about him. He's their best three-point shooter on that team. When he goes, this offense is really tough to guard because they can go low, they can go high. And Kansas, man, that defense is going to swallow you up every single game. And if they can score 79 points, especially against a good defense like West Virginia – they're going to be a tough team to beat, uh, looking like they're the second-best team in the Big 12, and the Big 12 at the top, we've mentioned, very good. Absolutely, and this is a game that I think Kansas definitely proved their superiority. Uh, some great individual performances. Christian Braun, 22 points, 7 assists. Devil Devil for Abaji, he's been, he's been exceptional throughout this game, uh, the season, rather. David McCammick, 10 points, 11 boards. He had a solid game. Jalen Wilson, 17 and seven with four assists as well. A lot of different performances really putting Kansas over the top five players in double digits in the points category. That's always a big, big plus. And I really think that Kansas is starting to really separate themselves now from the rest of the country for that number three spot. I really think that gap now between two, three, and four is going to be massive. Uh, and I think that Kansas has really stamped their position there at that number three spot. They're going to have to play Baylor, get a crack at that number two position, because as long as Baylor keeps on doing what they've been doing, that will be a very nice two-three showdown. 
Texas Tech, Oklahoma, a thriller of a game. Texas Tech, 69, Oklahoma, 67. Oklahoma had plenty of opportunities to at least go to overtime and couldn't do it in the final second. First off, what a game this was. It was. Unfortunately, I missed some of it because I was golfing my my one o'clock tea time on a par three executive course. I ended up running three and a half hours and I didn't get any chance to watch this game. Oklahoma put up a good fight against Texas Tech in the second half. Mac McClung with 16 more points. Uh, it's amazing how much better he's been at Texas Tech this year under Chris Beard as opposed to uh, Patrick Ewing. Uh, good coaching matters in college basketball. We've seen that a lot, but it wasn't just him. Uh, Santos Silva with 18 and then Shannon as well with 21. They're able to hold off Oklahoma. We've talked about it. Brady Manick, he's one of the best players, but put himself in foul trouble, uh, turned the ball over a couple of times, only scored two points in this game. Uh, they really relied on Reeves and Harmon with 17 and 13. Uh, wasn't quite enough to protect their home court against Texas Tech. Oklahoma, certainly a good team. I mean, just imagine if Manic gets going in this game. They probably walk out of this game with a W. Absolutely. And don't forget about McClung as well. He put up 16 with four assists. So you can't really forget about that. And games like this, the Big 12 is a never-ending gauntlet for a reason. These are the kind of games that, you know, if, if a team like Texas Tech or Kansas starts to look ahead at other opponents, they will get trapped in, in a game against Oklahoma. I definitely think the Sooners are that good. Could they get a ranking at some point? I think that's a, a question that maybe will get answered later on in the year, probably not in the immediate term, but Oklahoma puts together a string of wins. I could definitely see them being in that top 25 at some point. They have a lot well, of it, Here's the thing is their next three games for them, Nick. West Virginia, at Baylor, at Kansas. Man. So wow. uh, next two weeks, they're going to have a chance to pick up a lot of wins. And after that, it's TCU, Oklahoma State, Kansas State. So, I mean, if they can maybe go 3-3 three and three during that stretch, that would be certainly a victory for them. I mean, like you mentioned, Big 12, a gauntlet. I've noticed that you're, you're, you're a big gauntlet guy. Uh, and uh, <laughs> things stick, yes. <laughs> right. I mean, it certainly is a good word to describe the Big 12 and the Big 10. Yes, absolutely. We will, we will talk about the Big Ten in a few moments. But, yeah, Oklahoma is definitely a team that you do not want to rest on because they are definitely a good team. Some defensive areas, at least the numbers say, they could probably work on a little bit. But when you have five of the top 15 in the Ken Palm rankings in your conference, half the conference, mind you, you have a lot of great games, and the Big 12 is definitely one of those conferences. North Carolina, NC State, the third game on Tuesday we want to talk about. NC State 79, North Carolina 76. I thought this was a very intriguing game that really North Carolina, they do what they had to do for the most part. Four guys with double digits in the scoring category. 18 offensive rebounds. Well, that's great. The problem was they forgot to shoot the three effectively. Two of 12 from beyond the yards. That's the, that's really the one thing that got them. And it's a very big thing that got them among you as well. But I, I look at what North Carolina did um, really craft the, uh, the boards effectively. Their big problem was shooting beyond the arc and it really got them. Yeah. And I mean, NC state's been a good team from behind the arc this year too. So it's really a question of which team would shoot better. I mean, would North Carolina be able to, 
put enough points in the paint to be able to counter that. Uh, NC State came into the is now shooting 39% from behind the arc on this on the season, and they shot over 40% in that game from behind the arc. So they had a better performance uh, based on their season. I mean, we've talked about it. NC State, they're a big team, but you don't really win a lot of college basketball games in the modern age of college basketball by just being a big team and not being able to shoot. And we saw that because, I mean, they also didn't make a ton of free throws, 70%. Also another problem when you're a big team, you don't really get to go to the line a lot and make those free throws. They were also given a gift by NC State when they only went 11 of 20. Free throws, it's been a common trend this year. It's been down, which is something that I wouldn't have expected given the fact that, you know, these players, they weren't really allowed to practice and do stuff. Well, what's one thing you can do in your free time? Let's go shoot free throws. Uh, and I've said several times, the one thing I will criticize any college basketball player for is their bad free throw shooting because that's one thing that I can go at my hoop and go shoot free throws. And I can shoot them. You know, I mean, I, I'm probably not going to make more than 60%. But, I mean, these guys, they, they play basketball for a living and uh, for, for their hobby and their, their sport. So they should be able to do it significantly better than I can. So uh, free throw shooting certainly wasn't uh, – too good in this game and the fact that NC, that UNC didn't make any three-pointers to go along with it certainly killed them because you normally don't lose a lot of games when you out-rebound a team by 11 but that was the case here right and, and, and 12 of 17 from the line you know it's kind of like a borderline thing I don't think it's still is good enough because obviously that is five missed free throws in a three-point game so you have that to go off of and really I mean 80 percent or better really is the mark for me you could reached out on a consistent basis I think that's pretty solid um and both of these teams failed to hit 80 percent and obviously these two teams in this game isn't the only example that throughout the year we have a ton of examples of this throughout the year we'll talk about that later on we just talked about some of the national stat trends of the year so far but yeah this game could have used a lot better free throw shooting on both ends Wednesday we go to Rutgers Ohio State Ohio State 80 Rutgers 68 I got to tell you something. I thought I was going to get you know, get one eye on these predictions, but then the big men fouled out for Rutgers, and it completely changed the game. Um, you, you, you look at Miles Johnson fouling out. He only had two points, but he was someone that definitely this team could have needed down the line. Ducore, four fouls. He was someone that this team really needed down the stretch. And it really seems to me that, this team without big men is a team that may not go too far, to be quite honest. They, the big men, when they are available, can really, um, can really make havoc on a, on a team like Ohio State or any, really any team in this conference. They have proven themselves to be an extremely good team. Their problem now is that they better make sure their big men are not fouled out, or as we saw in this game, there's a good chance that they will get blown out. Yeah, I mean, negative 20 rebounding margin here for Rutgers. That's never a good sign. And when you consider the fact that Ohio State was able to shoot 46% from the field along with that, they weren't missing a ton of shots. But even when they were missing, they're able to grab 12 offensive rebounds. And then Rutgers, they, they missed, you know, they shot 41% from the floor. And then they're out-rebounded defensively by 12. So not a good performance on the boards from Rutgers. And that's what happens when you're when you're down in big men. Uh, Geo Baker is still 
just trying to get his feet wet in this uh, two of six from behind the arc, three of 12 from the floor. Once he gets going, Rutgers is also going to be a better team. I, I think both these teams are poised for a tournament run. Ohio State did lose today on, on Saturday to Northwestern in a fantastic game. Big 10, it's a gauntlet. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, this game was incredible. I did pick up this game. I, I figured that Rutgers at some point was due for a loss on the road against a ranked team. I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll take my chance here. Got it. Uh, Ohio State, they're a good team. Rutgers, they're a good team as well. Both these teams poised to make the tournament. Yeah, and I got to tell you something, man. I mean, I was really hoping that Rutgers would, you know, stay the course. And then there was that point to where I'm like, eh, yeah, this ain't going my way. And, and sure enough, it didn't. So uh, props to you for, for that one. Uh, how about Creighton and Xavier? Creighton 66, Xavier 61. At some point, I think we, we both kind of knew that Xavier was going to pick up a loss eventually. Uh, them being ranked, really good sign. And some of their games early on, I think, was troublesome for Xavier. But they bounced back in a big way after some of these uh, early games didn't quite go the way they wanted it to, even though they still won those games. Good win against Cincinnati on the road. Solid win against Oklahoma at home by 22 points. And then that win against Marquette at home, that would really put him over the top and put him in the pole. And then a loss against Creighton on the road. What do you think about it? Well, they didn't shoot the ball well from behind the arc. They had a chance. They had a shot for three to tie it up at the end of the game and it ended up not going in. And they're, they're a very streaky team. Like we mentioned, a lot of really close games early on. This was definitely a game where we're like, okay, they're, they're poised to lose. Going on the road against a team like Creighton. But they actually did a really good job. Creighton only shot 35% from the floor and 28% from behind the arc. And a lot of teams, if you can hold Creighton to those types of numbers, you're going to beat them because they don't play great defense, uh, especially down low. They are not built to play defense down low. We saw McCormick uh, for Kansas kind of expose that. And we're still waiting for Marcus Zagorowski to get going. Two of 11 from the floor, one of five from, from three. He was a preseason All-American, only 10 points in this game. He struggled for the majority of the season. Once Zagorowski gets going, Creighton is going to be so good. And we're still waiting because this team, they, they can shoot. Uh, and they're, they're a fantastic team. As for Xavier, they're, they're a good team. I don't think they're a top 25 team by any stretch of the imagination. But they're, they're going to be right there. They're certainly a tournament team as well. But they the reality finally caught up to them. And uh, they weren't able to shoot the ball that well in this game. Yeah, and, and, and reality will set kick in at one point. Another note about Zagorowski, two assists, four turnovers. That's awful. That is just a turnover ratio. is not something you want whatsoever. Uh, but really, I think Xavier will be able to compete with a lot of teams, a lot of top teams in the Big East. How many of those games are they going to be able to win? That really, for me, is, is the biggest question because, you know, this is a game against a top-tier Big East opponent. I'm sure Xavier would have loved to have won this particular game. Didn't quite go their way, uh, but I do think that Xavier, they will definitely be right in that conversation for a tournament spot. I think their non-conference resume really shows that they can compete against some of the better teams you, you gave them, and obviously they'll be able to prove that as well uh, throughout the Big East slate. So definitely looking for a good year out of Xavier. I was at Christmas Eve, the one day of the regular season where we don't have any games at all. So hoping you enjoyed the Christmas Eve because Christmas, we had a lot to talk about for all four of these games. 
Wisconsin 85, Michigan State 76. This was, I believe, since 2004, the first game at East Lansing that Wisconsin had won. And I really think that's a credit to their experience. And I really think that showed in this game. 23-3 from, from, the, from the line. Looked like to be a little better, but given the situation, that's not terrible. It really isn't. The assist to turnover ratio, 18-7. to 7. That's pretty darn good. Trice at 29. That's really, really good. Four players, including Trice and Double Dudes, in the scoring category. A lot of things went Wisconsin's way in this one. Tight. Michigan State definitely gave Wisconsin a really good game, but I think it really showed just how good the Badgers can be, and they really proved their place inside the top 10 nationally. Well, I think they're a top five team in the country, if I'm being honest. Uh, this team, I think they could be one of the most complete teams in the country. I mean, you obviously have Gonzaga, you have Baylor, you have Villanova. Wisconsin's right there with them, and they play really good team defense. Now, it's very rare that you go up against a Michigan State team that shoots 72% from behind the three-point line. But that's what this Michigan State team did. That's how they were able to keep up with Wisconsin. And one thing about Wisconsin is they ended up drawing 26 fouls from Michigan State, and they ended up shooting 30 free throws, like you mentioned. And they, they were able to make 23 of those. And I think that's a good number. I think the, the mark for the past like 25 national champion teams is over 75%. You have to be over that mark. So if they can do that, you know, going 23 of 30 from behind the from uh, from the line is a good mark to be at if you're Wisconsin. Like you mentioned, Demetri Trice, he was unbelievable. Four of seven for three. You know, you don't really think about three ball when you talk about Wisconsin, but he did a good job from behind the line as well as Potter. He also had 11 points. But uh, the, those five starters, like we mentioned for Wisconsin, all of them scored eight points. And they only play eight guys, but – those eight guys are really darn good for Wisconsin, and the, the batters have a really good team going for them this year. And if Reavers, who, in my opinion, is their best player, only scored eight points and was their lowest-scoring starter, they're, they're going to be in a good spot. Absolutely. And half of Wisconsin's 30 free throws was some trice himself, but we definitely did a really good job. Joey Hauser's free throw shooting 10-11. 10, 11 of the, four, of the 14 to 16 for the team. So Hauser definitely carried the road to Michigan State from the line, and he did so very effectively. He had 27 points. He had a really good night, but unfortunately, Wisconsin just really overpowered the team as a whole. Really the reason why they won the matinee of that one. How about we go into Iowa, Minnesota? Minnesota 102, Iowa 95, the nightcap. And I got to tell you, man, the Iowa Overs, they really love, it. love themselves, don't they? And it, it took until later on in the game for the over two hit, but it really hit itself in a big way. Two big performances, really three big performances, if you include Brandon Johnson of Minnesota, Garza Johnson, and also Marcus Carr, who had a really nice night for himself as well. Really an absolute thriller, and, and quite frankly, Iowa – they had a really good chance. They were at one point about within the win probability, which we know sometimes it can be a little flawed, but the win probability at one point, they're around 98.8%. Minnesota in the late stages was at a 1.2 win probability. And that minimum win probability is the second least of the year so far. So you got to credit Minnesota a lot for being able to, one, 
being able to really stay in it, and then two, an overtime hit. You had a guy in Brandon Johnson you could get to, and he was the one that really carried this team in the overtime. Yeah, here's a good sign for Minnesota. And like I mentioned, they, they've, they've overperformed our expectations by a mile so far in the season. Shot 45% from the floor, 40% from the three-point three line, and 86% from the free-throw line. You're not going to lose a game shooting that ever. And, I mean, the, they were able to – it was going to be a close game because, of course, Iowa just puts up points like it's nobody's business. And they, they shot better from the floor than Iowa. They shot better from behind the arc than Iowa. And they shot better from the free throw line than Iowa. So, Minnesota, they're proving I, – I thought about taking them in this game, but I ultimately decided not to. I said, you know, Iowa, they're, they're, they're just going to be able to score too many points. Iowa, I believe they're up seven or they're up five, and then they just kept missing free throws. Like I mentioned, that 71% from the free throw line. They went 27 to 38, shot a lot of free throws. But one key thing was that Iowa was only in the bonus going down the edge of regulation, and then they missed the front end, and then Marcus Carr went down the floor and shot that game tying three. A lot of people were saying, well, they should have fouled. They should have just made the free throw. Yep, absolutely. that's, that's what it came down to. And uh, the Iowa over hit on that Marcus Carr three, like you mentioned, Iowa overs are now eight and one on the season. Uh, the only under was against Purdue. And we all know that Purdue likes to play it slow. So, I mean, that was uh, that was an over where you're like, you know, it's not too shocking it didn't hit. But, I mean, the number was 165 in this game, and it still went over in a college basketball game. Iowa scores. They score like mad. They don't play any defense. I mean, on Ken Palm, they're now rated on defense with efficiency 96th. 96th, Nick. That's bad. Damn. That's it. It's really bad. The the next closest team uh, is uh, in the top is LSU, who's ranked 37th. They have the 115th ranked defense. And we all know that because Will wow. Wade also doesn't like the coaching defense. So, uh, I mean, Iowa, they're going to beat a lot of teams. They're also going to lose some close games because they can't play any defense. Yeah. It's going to cap them for sure. Yeah, and I can tell you this, the, having the numbers up in front of me right now, they've gone up a few spots since then. They're up to 90th in uh, defensive efficiency, but really that's still not very good when it's only a 96.3. When you have your offense rebound percentage on the defensive side at 34.3%, that just isn't very good. You're allowing your opponents to shoot 34.4% from three. That isn't really the best either. And you mentioned the Iowa scoring as well. Here's something that is actually very fascinating. You mentioned the Purdue game, um, that 70 to 55 win. That 70 is by far the lowest point goal they scored. The second, the second lowest is 93. So they right. definitely know how to score. How to score. Defense would though they have a lot of problems to fix. And it's not just Iowa either. Michigan State, who we talked about earlier, is also in a very similar boat. It's not quite as bad as what Iowa is going through themselves, but it's still not the greatest. Yeah, no, it's not. But they they and it showed because, I mean, they didn't score the ball against Illinois, who also hasn't played great defense. They didn't play good defense today against Indiana, though. But, I mean, they only scored 65 points, and Illinois just ran them over. But, I mean, Minnesota, like I said, if you, if you can score, you can beat any team in the country. But if you don't play any defense, you could also lose just about any team in the country. So it's a nice balancing act. If you could, if you could play 90% of your offense but 
put that other 10% into your defense as an elite offensive scoring team, that's the recipe for success. Absolutely. And we're going to move on for the sake of time here to Purdue, Maryland, Purdue 73, Maryland 70. I got to tell you something, man, watching this game and watching Maryland miss free throw after free throw down the stretch. Oh my goodness. And if it irritated me, to be quite honest. I mean, it just got to the point where it was laughable. 10 of 21 from the line for Maryland. Or to put it this way, that's 11 missed free throws, 10 free throws made in a three-point game. That is not going to get you anywhere. And I think this game right here should be the warning sign for Maryland. And this is one really they almost had to win. Their next five games for Maryland, Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, Iowa, Illinois, it is a never-ending gauntlet of the Midwest. I mean, this is one they almost had to win, and they didn't do it. So you really just got to wonder, how is Maryland going to get through that? No, I mean, they did cover the spread. Good teams win, great teams cover. But, I mean, they were down 13 in this game on the road, and they came back. So, I mean, that, that says a lot about this team. But like you mentioned, the free throw shooting, they just didn't do, they just didn't do it well enough. Purdue also shot 45% from behind the arc. That's also not going to happen too many times. So this was just like a really weird game. Maryland only turned the ball over five times. They kept good control of the ball, but then the easy shots, like you mentioned, the free throws. And like I've said before, the only thing I'll ever criticize a team for, like, and players for, is your free throw shooting. And they deserve the criticism, and you were just giving it to them. They outscored Purdue in the second half by 10, but they still lost. Uh, It's a tough loss for Maryland because, like you mentioned, this is a game that you need to win because Purdue's not one of the better teams in the Big Ten by any stretch of the imagination. And they didn't get the job done on the road. Huge missed opportunity, and you never know when you're going to be able to make that up. Uh, Zach Eady, 19 minutes. Play him more. Play him more. Uh, he wasn't even in foul trouble. He only had one foul. I mean, I know that Maryland doesn't have that big lineup like they normally do, but still, put him down there. I mean, he's 7'4", he'll get boards, he'll play defense. Play him more, Matt Painter. Absolutely. That's a very good point as well. I mean, six points for him, seven boards. He could definitely put in very effective performances. And the other big thing, too, with, with this team is that so many guys are getting quality minutes that do get to play for Purdue. That is something to really keep an eye on of um, for recruiting purposes because you, you have three freshmen that are getting in some extremely quality minutes. So that is definitely one keeping an eye on. Uh, for Purdue going forward. The fourth game, um, not the nightcap, but Michigan winning against Nebraska 80-69. to A pretty quality performance, really. Um, some person Nebraska also had some good performance. But for Michigan first, this is one that they definitely should have taken, and they did um, with relative ease here. Uh, I thought Michigan played pretty darn good. They will definitely get a few spots up. Uh, maybe not a ton, but they will get uh, definitely a few spots up in the top 25. But for Nebraska, Teddy Allen put in a, another nice performance, 25 points and six rebounds. And you also had um, Banton and McGowan's with some nice performances as well. What does Nebraska need to do in order to really try to win some games in the Big Ten where quite frankly Nebraska is just squarely in the bottom? Yeah, I mean, coming into the season, we were saying, you know, the bottom three teams are probably going to be Nebraska, Northwestern, and Minnesota. And those other two teams only have two losses combined as compared to Nebraska's five losses already. So they definitely need to do that. I mean, they shot the ball decently well. 
40% from the floor, 35% from three, you know, maybe make a couple more free throws. You did shoot 60%. That's not the difference in the game, uh, but they were out rebounded by 12 in this game uh, to Michigan. Who's not even like a huge team. Cause I mean, last year with Michigan, they would out rebound teams cause they had that big center, John Teske down low. They lost him. They also lost Xavier Simpson. They have rebounded well uh, coming in and, They've been really good so far. Somehow they're still undefeated. Uh, neither of us really saw that coming. But they've been a good team. I, I don't know really where Nebraska goes from here because, I mean, they have three guys score 15 points. So they, they, they need to find more quality minutes from their depth pieces. They only have four bench points. So the the depth and role players on Nebraska just need to step up just a bit, and they'll, they'll win some games. Because like we mentioned, Big Ten's tough. So need to find some more production from bench players and you mentioned northwestern they are on a heck of a tear themselves right now a very close win against ohio state 71 to 70 and i gotta say this is really props to northwestern here the expectations were that they were going to be at the bottom of a very loaded big 10 northwestern now is trying to add themselves to the equation here it really is something to behold and their lone loss was a close one to pittsburgh at home, that's that's it. The three games they've won this conference have all been a quality opponents, and it's not like they're, they're getting a break anytime soon. Iowa on the road, Michigan on the road, Illinois home, Ohio State on the road, Iowa at home. Their next five games are also very brutal, but they are starting to prove themselves. Yeah, they are, and I mean, it's going to be an interesting way to finish the season, but I, I don't know where these teams go from there. Yeah, I mean, you know, who knows? This may be the high point of Northwestern season. Time will tell on that one, but a very good win for Northwestern at home. Maybe the Wildcats get some more respect and it put, get put into the bottom tier of the top 25. We'll see where that one goes on Monday. And, and their, on, their only loss is on the road at Pitt in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, and that they were winning big in that game. They ended up blowing it because, I mean, Justin Champagne is one of the best players in the country, especially one of the best two-way forwards. So Northwestern's put themselves in a good spot for sure. But I, I don't know how much further they can climb from this point because they're not a very deep team. But uh, they don't turn the ball over a lot, and that's going to win you a lot of games in the Big Ten because if you can control the ball and make your shots like they do, they're going to put themselves in a good spot to win. And then Gonzaga, Virginia – we have a new number one in Kempom once again. Gonzaga has put themselves up there and with a big one, a 98 on Virginia of all teams. I mean, my goodness, this team is really going places. Um, obviously, they're not, once again, number one in Kempom. They're number one in adjusted offensive efficiency once again at a 121.1. That is a one to behold. But just on this game in particular, what we've really come to see is that this team is more than one guy. Today, it was Kispert who was getting a lot of the acclaim. Nine of 13 from beyond the arc. That is insane. Um, but Drew Timmy, uh, according to the analytics, was, was the game MVP. It's like, how in the world do you try to stop a team that can have easily four or five guys that can go off on any given night? It just seems insane to me. I've said it before. They're the only team where I can name all five stars on the floor. And that, that, that speaks volume because I mean, I watch a lot of college basketball and 
it, it's crazy. I mean, it's coming to the point where I can name all five starters on Illinois. Uh, but, I mean, Gonzaga, like you said, they could go with anyone. And, I mean, Timmy, his presence down low is incredible. And I think one way to beat them is you got to get him in foul trouble because, I mean, Watson isn't the best presence down low. He's definitely the last of the five or six guys that they really play. And there's too much depth in the backcourt for this team. So that, that way you just got to kind of find ways to, to play them tough. But you got to find a way to get Timmy in foul trouble and make them play from the outside and make them make shots because they're, they're not going to shoot 50% from behind the three-point line every single game. Now, the fact that they were able to shoot 60% from the floor, 50% from behind the arc, and 78% from the free throw line against UVA of all teams, I think speaks volume to how good this team is. Because UVA, I, you know, watching this game, I'm like, they're not doing a bad job, but uh, a little too many turnovers, 15 turnovers against Gonzaga. They're going to take advantage of that. And then at that point, Virginia was just kind of chucking up shots. They're going in though, 40% from three and 40% from the floor. So I, I'm not down on Virginia from this game. I think Gonzaga just showed that they're the best team in the country. They're probably going to go undefeated going into March Madness. We'll see what happens going into there because we know the undefeated teams, you know, as the later in the year it gets, those teams, you have that huge target on your back and the target keeps growing and growing for Gonzaga. But uh, the bullseye is very, very small on that target for Gonzaga because they've got too many guys that can protect it. Yeah, and and really it's almost as if there is no bullseye, to be quite honest, because that's how good this Gonzaga team is. It just seems to be a different player every night. And I know a lot of people who just, you know, they don't like this. They don't like the program of Gonzaga. You know, they want to, you know, try to put the asterisk on them. Say, oh, shortened year, COVID. Oh, they don't know. Cut that crap right now. They've beaten four teams that can legitimately get to the Sweet 16 now. Kansas, but Virginia, Iowa. And now Virginia, to an extent, can try and, you know, break that board. They get a really good matchup. Just stop with, with this asterisk stuff if you are that if you are a person that wants to try to hand out an asterisk to Gonzaga win this, just stop. There, there is no asterisk argument to be had. They've done everything in their power in the non-conference to put themselves in a position where they are really it's all it should be a unanimous best team in the country at this point. I'm sure Baylor will still get, you know, the the, the one or the two of the three first place votes, um, and perhaps even more. Should Gonzaga stay the course and Baylor stay the course? Maybe Baylor, as time goes on, as they play more tough Big 12 competition, will start to pluck a few more first-place votes. But, I mean, in, in all honesty, Gonzaga will be the best team in the country until they lose a game. And when that happens, maybe we put Baylor above Gonzaga. But right now, there is absolutely no reason to even have that argument. So to do something a little bit different, um, in, in this show, normally have someone else always, you know, try to get their perspective on a few other things. But I thought going into 2021, I thought it'd be a good idea to look at some of the national statistical trends, which Ken Palm has a really good page for seemingly everything. And they once again have a really good page for this as well. So just to give a good few options on what really this is, uh, at least through this point in the year, the 32nd day of the season, a lot of things are up. A lot of things are up. Efficiency's up by nearly a point. The tempo has been up by just just a little over a half a point. The uh, effective field goal percentage is up a little bit. You know, your turnover percentage, up with the rebound percentage, is still the same. 
the free throw percentage. And this is a bit of a shock one to me, considering that it is still very even from from this point last year. So there's some really uh, talk about, but the scoring also is up. So what does that really say about where the national state of this game is at this point in the year? It's been, it's been a fun year. That's what it means. I mean, it's not, it's not too different. And what we've all wanted is some normalcy within life. And, you know, people are trying to go out of their ways to find some normalcy. Well, here's some normalcy. It's right here in college basketball our one of our favorite sports. And I mean, like you mentioned, all these rates are right around the same thing. One thing I have noticed so far in the year, and I mean, this isn't through Ken Palm. I, I, I one thing I didn't get for Christmas was a Ken Palm subscription. Very angry about that. I guess I got to spend the 20 bucks myself. Uh, what they do, but uh, charges they're up. It seems like every game there's wow. just like four or five ridiculous charge calls where I'm like, Hey, that dude wasn't set, you know, he stopped and like, you know, he barely tapped him and the dude fell and the refs are, you know, you see the hand on the head, and the, the, the wrist go out, and you're like, Ah, oh, of course. Uh, I mean, now there's nothing better than uh, when you're at a game and your team draws a charge and you can go da, 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 charge, but when you're watching it on TV, it sucks. And that's one thing I have noticed. But outside of that, you know, a lot of these things, they're, they're, they're really the same. And that's what we love to see. Uh, you know, the pandemic effect isn't really having too much of an impact on all these teams. They all have dealt with some of the same things. Now, there have been some teams that have been affected more than others with uh, breakouts within their program. So that that is affecting those teams. But like you mentioned, efficiency, you know, percentages, they're all the same. Yeah, they really are. Now, compared with the full season of last year, I think this is where we're going to get a better picture of what we're seeing. Um, with some of the tempo being way up in the full year of the last year. Your shooting's about the same, except when we get to the free throw percentage. That's down by just over a percent from the full slate of last year. So maybe some of these numbers will go up. Um, maybe the tempo will go a little bit back in line with what we've seen from the last five years or so, but home winning percentage, the one of the effects of the pandemic is that some of these home venues aren't exactly as meaningful. The home winning percentage so far is at 53.2%. And over the last several years, it's been around 60, 59, 61, anywhere from the 59 to 61% range. And that's the way, way it's been for pretty much the last decade. This year though, it's been completely different of 53.2%. I definitely think that is a huge pandemic effect. And I think that will take effect in really, we will get a chance to see the best teams get the best records. And I think that's going to be even more so in this season. And it's also interesting to see, you know, like teams that play defense well, typically play better at home because they can use the crowd to help use that defense to their advantage and, you know, for a team like Virginia, who normally doesn't, you know, play a ton of great offense, or even a team like San Diego State, uh, the, they might lose some more home games than they normally would in a year because they don't have that home crowd yelling during their defensive possessions. So that might be something that will be interesting to look at. And it'll also be interesting to see if this number goes up as the year goes on. As we all know, vaccines are starting to come out. Uh, more and more people will might be able to allow to come into games. We're seeing more fans at games. Uh, at like 10 to 15 to 20% capacities. Uh, we've talked with a good friend of ours, Gabe Schwartz. He's attended a Kansas game. He said, you know, it's still loud. Uh, you, you still felt like there was that home court advantage. So it'll be interesting to see. As the year goes on, if there's more fans allowed in stands, if more teams allow fans in the stands, is the home winning percentage going to go up as the year goes on, or is it going to stay right around the same? 
and, I, and if we want to look, look at things from the conference perspective right now, there you can actually see some very interesting signs here. Uh, the Big 12, the the original never-ending gauntlet. Let's get that out of the way. You know, a three and six home winning percentage in conference games. So there's something to be said right there that some conferences are having a big different experience. That is compared to the Big 10. The home winning percentage is 12 and five. Um, road teams had a little more success. Minnesota had to use overtime to get to get their home win. Wisconsin, Michigan uh, got some got some very nice wins uh, on the road, and what Purdue at, at home a very solid win for them. So I mean, it's so different conferences so far are having different experiences with that, and you still have all these conferences that haven't played uh, some conference games yet. So as we get some more data, I think that'll be a very interesting to see where that ends up and just how exactly it, it differs from conference to conference. Uh, you would think that a lot of these conferences will have very similar percentages, but I think as the year goes on, there will be some disparities. So have some surprising ones, but I definitely think there will be some disparities. Uh, and really just to get your point on the charges, I think the rest need a new point of emphasis. It's called call the charge properly. <laughs> I mean, there have been some uh, charful calls. Sorry, yeah, I know that was that was pretty bad. Yeah, charful. Yeah, that was bad. But it, it's just, uh, I don't know how else I could say it. It's that it has not been good. Um, and I think some of these grads will probably need that new point of emphasis as we go on because we don't want too many more games, good games, be ruined on a complete god awful charge call. And I think that will happen as this season goes on. Because it seems like the refs are pretty, uh, I don't know if it's really bad officiating or just inconsistent officiating at this point. They got to they gotta get that straightened out over the next few weeks. Is there anything else, well, as you've been watching games throughout the course of the first month of the year, is there anything else that stood out to you from a national perspective? No, not really. Those were kind of the notes I wanted to point out, home winning percentage and, of course, the the charges, of course. I mean, another trend, we always got to bring this up, Iowa overs just, just hit them. It's obviously not a national trend, but it is a trend, if you want to say. So that, that's all I got. You know, I, I would have more if uh, if I got a Kempom subscription for Christmas and I was able to check this out as I, uh, I say that towards the door. Uh, but, you know, wh- what are you going to do? Uh, so yeah, that's all I got for that segment. And here's an interesting thing I want to bring up the nine steel turnover percentage bats up to levels we haven't seen in, in quite some time so far this year, it's up to 10.6%. Uh, you take the steals out of the equation that's what you get, and it's been below 10 for the last seven seasons. So maybe that goes down a little bit, but that is definitely a, a trend that we don't really want to see. Obviously, those little mistakes can really cost you down the line. We will see, though, if that does go down because in those seven years where it has been below 10%, five of those years were, was above 10% at this point in the year and including the last four years, full years. So we will definitely see where that goes. Perhaps that will trend down as time goes on. But if it does, and that is definitely a mark that will be a more recent high there. Um, and before we get into some of our weekly awards and predictions, obviously everyone likes, likes to make their own New Year's resolutions. Some of them they stick to, but a lot of them they don't. 
So what is what will be your New Year's resolution for really anyone in college basketball? Uh, hmm. Well, I mean, I want to play defense because if they can, if they can play defense, they they could go somewhere. Another one. Uh, trying to think. I mean, if Texas Tech could score a little bit more from the floor, that'd be really fun team to watch. Uh, they have the best defense according to Ken Palm in the nation. So if they could score a little bit more from the floor, that they, they would be a very fun team to watch. Cause I mean, a lot of Mac McClung's scoring comes from the free throw line. His ability to use his body to draw contact is his best strength. So if, if his surrounding pieces could help him a little bit more, and they shoot better from the floor. That that would be my New Year's resolution: is make more shots and make more free throws for for just teams in general. Uh, let's let's get that mark above where it's been in the past couple of years. Yeah, obviously nationally, practice your free throws. Um, some free throw session would be a really good resolution for any player in the country right now. I got one for Bobby Hurley. How about you start calling the timeouts, buddy? Um, yeah, yeah, and and really, it's interesting because when you get late in the game and you get a surge from a team. You can almost pinpoint the moment when Hurley's like, ah, it's not really worth it worth to really call a timeout right now. We're pretty much out of this thing. You can really, with some of the losses, you can pinpoint the runs where that moment has come in Hurley's mind. And I think you have got to get that out of your head. You at least mitigate it and call your timeout before it gets absolutely worse to, to the point where you do have to give up on it. Just, you know, get to that point. And really for the whole ASU team, just have just get the desire to win. Uh, I mean, the UTEP game was an example of that to where, you know, chuck it up threes, chuck it up threes. That doesn't work, and they kept doing it. It's just at that point, it's like you got to start questioning the desire of the team if they even want to win some of these important games. And they've done that on multiple occasions uh, throughout this year. So just getting a desire to win because they're getting to win a ton of games in the Pac-12, including every possible game that they could possibly pick up a bad loss. I think ASU might actually be one bad loss away from having to win their conference tournament, just even having a like, chance at the NCAAs. So that's a big one there for Arizona State in particular. And obviously nationally, you got to make your free throws. That's the one biggest thing. We've seen it this year with teams not making their free throws, losing close games. Hmm. Wonder why you lost that close game, buddy. Looking at you, Maryland. I'm looking directly at you when I say that in your game against Purdue. So let's hand out our weekly awards now. And as listeners know, we have a team of the week, bit major of the week, and our individual performance of the week. And I'll start out with my team of the week. That is Northwestern. They have killed it so far in the Big Ten. The win against Indiana, the win against Ohio State. They're 3-0 in Big Ten play. Not sure a lot of people saw that one coming. They've really hit the ball in the head. And, I'm real, and I, I think they're hoping that they can keep their 2024 into 2021. I think Northwestern has something cooking for them. They can really keep it up. Yeah, I, I wrote down two teams. Northwestern was one of them. My other team's also in the Big Ten. I think you can take a pretty good guess at who that's going to be. It's going to be Minnesota. They went 2-0 on the week. Knocked off St. Louis last Sunday night. Great win. Uh, St. Louis, we've mentioned, they're, they're going to be an at-large mid-major team for sure. And they also beat Iowa on Christmas. We talked about that game earlier. Scored 90 points in both games. Scored 100 against Iowa. Of course, there's an asterisk there. It's Iowa, and it was overtime. So, you know, you, you do get the benefit of the doubt, though. Minnesota, great team. Marcus Carr, he's one of the best players in the nation. 
he's he's in contention for the Big Ten Player of the Year. And I mean, I know right now it's probably Garza, but uh, he's right there with them. Absolutely, and Minnesota, obviously, great week for them. I think St. Louis is also very happy that Minnesota took out Iowa. You make that win, make that really the loss for St. Louis in that case. Make sure that game stays in quad one, which, of course, being a road game, it's a lot easier to have a game stay in quad one than a home game. I think that one absolutely will stay in that quad one area. The mid-major of the week, I'm going to go with Southern Illinois. Their win against Butler was a big one on the road. They had a 26-2 run at one point in the first half, and that really propelled them to that win. That's a great win for Southern Illinois. It does seem like a lot of teams in the Missouri Valley are trying to get at least one quality win they can take with them and build upon for conference play. And I definitely think Missouri Valley will be an intriguing conference to watch. Yeah, my mid-major of the week also comes from the Missouri Valley, but I'm going to go with Drake this week. Uh, earlier on this week, they picked up two huge wins, uh, not against uh, Power 5 teams, against Chicago State and then North Dakota, but the margin of victory for those two games was 77. They're now 9-0 on the year. Uh, they're certainly outperforming our expectations uh, going back to when we recorded our Missouri Valley Conference preview. Drake, 9-0, went 2-0 on this week with a margin of victory of 77. They get my major of the week award. Yeah, and obviously Chicago State, I guess we kind of have adjusted here. They have decided to uh, back out of the rest of the season. And, you know, some people might say, yeah, good running. 0-9, just got awful stats. I mean, maybe, maybe it was just best of them, you know. And and maybe some other uh, poorly performing majors, you know. You know, get the cast in the buy games and then back out of there when you can. So, that was a very intriguing one as well. And finally, the individual performance of the week, I got to go with Brandon Johnson. He may have not led his team in points, but what he did do, he performed when it mattered the most, and that was his 12 points in overtime. Practically putting the team on his back, telling Marcus Carrea, give me those weights for a little bit, buddy. I think you need a bit, a bit of a break from carrying the team, and he decided to carry the team himself. What a performance, and to do that against a top-five team on Christmas in overtime, I think that really improved his stock, and perhaps we're not talking about Minnesota as the one man of Marcus Carr, as perhaps Johnson starts to pick up some more Big Ten games, and perhaps he gets some better performances out of it. Maybe we're talking about him in that discussion as well. Because I originally had Marcus Carr out of individual performance until Johnson really shot the lights out of the building in overtime. So that's really a credit to Minnesota now. Perhaps they found a second star. Yeah, and of course, my player of the week is going to be Marcus Carr. I scored 30-plus points against both St. Louis and against Iowa. He also had that game-tying three, which allowed Johnson to get those 12 points in overtime. So to me, he got my award. Uh, you know, we don't plan these ahead of time. We, we have our players. Uh, Luca Garza watched, though. They scored 22 points, nine boards against Purdue in their game earlier this week. They went under. Of course, Garza only putting up 22 points goes along with that. And he got 32 points and 17 rebounds against Minnesota. That now brings him up to 28.8 points and 10 rebounds on the year in only 28 minutes per game. So as the season goes on, Garza is going to be playing more minutes. Like I mentioned, he, he played less minutes in those games against the mid-majors and their non-con. So He's going to continue to put up big games, a lot of boards. Garza's well on his way to winning National Player of the Year. Absolutely. And I get the feeling you're starting to like Garza more than Coburn nowadays. I know you love well, the, the players. I, listen, 
Kofi and I will always have that special connection to when I found out how you spell his last name. And then uh, there's also there's also a cook a cook for for UConn. He's also got a cool name. Uh, I mean Garza Garza's a better scorer. They're they're both not fundamentally great players. They're both fun to watch. Now now my my my, my go to guys Io uh, for for Illinois. That that that's my guy right there. But uh, I mean Garza he still hasn't put up single digit points since he played San Diego state last year. Thanksgiving week. It's been double digits every single game since then. So, and I also remember his second half performance against Tennessee a couple of years ago in the tournament, a lot of, a lot of cool performances from these guys. I love watching the big men in the big 10 go at it. Uh, and there's also Yudoka Zabuki last year. It kind of felt like you as in that mix of guys uh, watching the big men, go to work it's a it's a lost art today in basketball it really is you know all everyone wants to do is just jack up the three whenever they want looking at you Tayshawn Trey by the way big man shooting three is not quite working out for you there uh but let's talk about now our weekly predictions and Tom has a lead on me here up by a game obviously the the two main differences went his way Rutgers Ohio State which we mentioned also that Kentucky Louisville game ugly to say the least but Louisville got the job done and you know, that was a really close game throughout. I didn't get a chance to watch it, but it seemed like that game was a very close one throughout. Um, and obviously, uh, I don't know if there's a regret picking Kentucky because if there was a game that they were going to try and get and build momentum, it was going to be that one. Um, but well, and it was it was tied in the final minute, and they blew it. Man. So, I mean, okay, and, uh, another note, Cal Perry was wearing jeans today. Uh, so, I don't know what that says about anything, but uh, – case there's uh, anything else weird that needed to go on in 2020 <laughs> coach Cal was wearing jeans in the final game of his of uh his 2020 yes we need we, we need a little bit of weirdness in our life nowadays but it still doesn't mean our records are, are, are very good our records are actually very good Dom's at 32 and 16 out of 31 and 17 we're definitely trying to get a lot of winning picks out there by uh not being different all the time just you know how in those few games where we like to differ a little bit, and I'm hopeful, I'm hoping we'll have the same exact situation yes. here as well. And we're going to start off with a look at the midweek coming up on Monday, Colorado and Arizona. I think that Colorado is one of those teams that is starting to not get as many looks at a team like UCLA or Oregon or even a Stanford or USC at some point. I think Colorado puts together a big statement against Arizona and wins this one. Looks like uh, Dom's at Zoom had froze a little bit. There you go. He's back on now. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I know you're going to talk about Colorado, Arizona. So I'm going to back McKinley right here. Uh, he's the best player in this game, and I think they're going to get the win on the road, uh, make that home winning percentage go down just a bit more. Uh, yes, there you go. And obviously the technical difficulty that's part of the life nowadays in 2020s. We head into 2021, so we apologize for those. Uh, Florida State and Clemson on Tuesday in the ACC. Clemson's had some great moments at this point of the year. Florida State also has had their moments in this year. So it's a couple of teams that has had their moments getting into 2021. Obviously, their final game of 2020 coming here very, very soon. What do you think on this one? I'm going to start with Florida State here. Clemson's defense is very good, but so is Florida State's here. Florida State's got a much better offense, much more dynamic. I'm going to take the Seminoles in this one on the road again. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm taking Florida State here as well. Perhaps this is the one. This is one that we're both wrong on. Uh, Clemson 
Their turnover percentage defensively is in the top 10 nationally. They don't allow a ton of shots to go in. So you could see how Clemson might be able to defend their home floor here, but I will take Florida State in this one. I mean, you have guys like Scotty Barnes that can do a lot of things right. I think it's really hard to go against that. Purdue and Rutgers, obviously both of these teams, they, they've had some, some different results over the course of this last week, but I'm still going to go with Rutgers. Uh, obviously, the caveat here is as long as Rutgers stays out of foul trouble, they're big men, they should be just fine. Because I got a feeling if Rutgers gets into foul trouble against Purdue, it could be an ugly night for the Scarlet Knights. Yes, but the, the another problem is, is that Painter won't play Edie. So yeah. uh, it, if I felt confident that he would play him, I would take Purdue in this game. But at the same time, Purdue just doesn't play well on the road. And they're going to Rutgers, which is the furthest team out east in the Big Ten Give me Rutgers in this one. Yeah, that would be a, a, a very interesting thing, an interesting sign of uh, things to come necessarily. And I definitely think there will be a very interesting uh, thing to really go along there. Let's move into uh, Wednesday real fast um, as we're or making adjustments on the fly here, apparently. We love to see that. Richmond Davidson, though, a game we had planned. A very intriguing situation with both of these teams in the A-10. Both of these teams are needing some other teams to do well so that their elevation can be good themselves. But we look into Richmond and Davis in this particular matchup. Where are we thinking on this? They go with Richmond. Uh, it should be a fantastic game. Davidson's one of the top teams in the A-10, but we know Richmond's top two. I'm going to take Richmond here. Yeah, and I will as too. I think Richmond is absolutely mm-hmm. one of the best teams um, out of the eight and out of the mid majors as a whole. And that is a definite plan to really uh, look forward to that. We had originally planned to pick, pick South Carolina, Kentucky. That's been postponed. Uh, so to straight off the alternate list for Wednesday that we had planned, we're going to try to predict St. Bonaventure, Rhode Island, another very good eight ten game. A couple of teams that quite frankly need to be good. So that the uh, uh, resumes of St. Louis and Richmond do look very good. Uh, where do we think here, um, almost on the fly, on St. Bonaventure and Rhode Island? I go with the Bonnies here. Their offense has been pretty solid for them so far in their two games. And Rhode Island has not impressed me too much. Uh, Fats Russell, he hasn't really been playing too well. He's also been battling some injuries. I'm going to take the Bonnies here. Yeah, it, it is a road game for St. Bonaventure. Uh, but if there's one thing that St. Bonaventure doesn't like to do, it's trying to bog over. Uh, so that'll be a very big point of, of emphasis there. I think St. Bonaventure, they win the turnover battle. They win the rebounding battle. I like St. Bonaventure as well in this one. Uh, and also on Wednesday, Penn State at Indiana, a very, very interesting game to say the least in the Big Ten, which quite frankly, every game in the Big Ten is very interesting to say the least. Penn State, they're looking to right things a little bit, having dropped both our Big Ten games to this point. Indiana has also been the same. So both of these teams are looking for a very important Big Ten win. How do you view this one? Well, this is going to be a fantastic game because, I mean, you're going with a team that plays really well on offense and a team that plays really well on defense here. And I'm going to go with the upset here. I'm going to take Penn State over Indiana. Indiana's offense has been very bad lately, and I think Penn State will be able to outscore them on the road here. And I mean, Indiana, you know, picking them at home, they just lost a home game to Northwestern. So, uh, you know, I see, I see similar things happening again. And uh, Marchie needs to pick up some wins. 
Absolutely. And I'm actually going to take Indiana here. Uh, I think this is a game that Indiana should be able to bounce back from. If they don't bounce back here, I think it's going to be really hard for Indiana going forward into January. I mean, you look at Maryland at home, they don't win against Penn State. That could be one they drop. And then Wisconsin on the road, they get a little bit of a break against Nebraska on the 10th of January. But Purdue, Michigan State, Iowa, Rutgers, and Michigan around the month of January. I just think that if they don't win this game, it's going to be very difficult for them to get anything going. And with limited non-conference games, that could mean an ugly record for Indiana. And I think Indiana should be able to get the rack together at home, uh, but obviously a very good game. Um, I think we're both looking forward to watching, to be quite honest. On Thursday, Michigan and Maryland. Michigan picking up a nice win for themselves on Christmas. Maryland not able to do the same. And also Michigan, they're looking to keep their unbeaten record intact. So where do we side here? Yeah, Michigan's bound to lose at some point. I don't think this is the game. Maryland hasn't played too well uh, to date. And I think Michigan stays undefeated. They go on the road out east to Maryland and pick up another victory. Yeah, and I'm going to say the same as well. I obviously think that Michigan is the better team here. And I really think that as the weeks go on, we're going to see some different tiers in this conference begin to build. And I absolutely think that the tier for the Big Ten um, for Michigan will be one of the upper tiers. I think that they are building a lot of momentum and they should be able to get the job done. So that's how we feel on the midweek, on the weekend. I got to be honest with you, Dom. This is a very tough one for me just to select the games for us to pick because there are some very high-quality games on Saturday. We got five of them to uh, select our teams here. Texas and Kansas being one of them, really quality game in the Big 12. I think a game that if Texas has to prove themselves as a top team in the Big 12, this is the game to do it, but I don't think they will. Kansas at home. That really should be all you have to say. I'm going to go with Kansas, but I think Texas puts in a really good performance as well. Yeah, I mean, going into the year, I probably would have been tempted to pick Texas because we know how much I like them. Still do. Problem is, this Kansas team has impressed me so much over the past couple of weeks. I'm going to take Kansas at home. Now the question is, can Texas's defense propel them to this win? Because, I mean, both these teams – their, their strength is the defense, and it's just going to be who's going to make more shots. I think it's going to be Kansas. Let's move on to LSU at Florida. This will be a big game for Florida. Their first since the uh, collapse of Keontae Johnson and the situation there. Stable condition. There's been reports that he has uh, picked up a heart condition along the way since his uh, um, positive that coming back in the summer. Uh, but a lot of confidence are worried about in the summer, to be quite honest. Uh, but Obviously, I don't think there's anything confirmed from the family or the school, so you got to be very careful with that. Uh, but this will be Florida's first game um, since that, and I'm, I'm going to start with you because I'll be honest, I'm kind of uh, – I don't know where to go, to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean, neither do I, but I do know that LSU has a great offense, and, I mean, a team that, that's kind of flustered like that could come out with a weird defensive game plan. I'm going to take the Tigers here. It's going to be a good game. LSU didn't exactly play well today, but I think they'll be able to rebound against a very stout Florida team. They're going to be playing without Johnson, I presume, and that's not going to bode well for them because he's a big reason why they performed so well early on. I'm going to take the Tigers here. Will Wade, American Gangster. 
Yeah, and, and, that, and I've completely flipped on this. This is for a second game since then. They have Vanderbilt coming up on Wednesday, which to be quite honest, that could be a very pivotal game for Florida. That could kind of serve as a little tune-up session of um, on the road against an SEC opponent. Obviously, it's Vanderbilt, but you kind of get an SEC feel before you play LSU. That could be very beneficial for Florida. And I'm going to take Florida, actually. I'm going to be very curious to see uh, what Florida has in Trey Mann and Scotty Lewis because that sophomore duo is going to be where this team has to go now. So it's going to be very in- in- interesting to see what Florida does against Vanderbilt because that could make my pick of Florida either very smart or very stupid, to be quite honest. But I'm going to go with Florida, um, try to kind of change things up. And, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll just say it. That is one where, you know, I am very, very torn on uh, where exactly to go. But I'm just going to go ahead and uh, pick with, pick Florida here and really just see what happens. Because uh, I definitely think LSU or Florida, I think they both have a very good chance to win that game. Colorado, UCLA. UCLA is one of the teams that is right up there in contention for the Pac-12 title. Colorado, hopefully they'll be able to get a win against Arizona to kind of build some momentum. Uh, I'm going to take UCLA here. Bruins at home. They, they've been solid at home. They've been some very good teams at home. And Colorado should be added to that list. I am going to pick the Bruins as well. So last year I did pick them on uh, our 4-3 show for college basketball as well. And oftentimes you'll get these two teams where you get these teams that play two games a week and you're picking both their games. And I can't tell you the amount of times, Nick, where I picked them to lose one and they would and they'd win that game, and I'd pick them to win the other, and then they'd lose that game. And it, it's just scary flashbacks here, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride against the Buffaloes in this game, and I'm going to take them, like I already mentioned earlier, I'm going to take them against Arizona. Let's pray I get both of them right, or hopefully just one of them. <laughs> exactly. Stanford, Oregon. This is another very good Pac-12 game. Um we hope Bill Wall. At least I hope Bill Wall is not on the call. Doesn't that hate to see this game get ruined by Bill Walton's commentary? I know you would hope they would. <laughs> he has on there. Maybe against Paul Colorado UCLA. We'll see. Uh, but I'm going to take Oregon here. Oregon's another team that is very good in the Pac-12. And Stanford, maybe they picked this one up for their resume. Who knows? But I'm going to stick with Oregon. Stanford may be a team that is sitting in that bubble for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Stanford to come out of this and then play well. I mean, their strength is defense, and I think for them coming out after that that delay, defense is what's going to help them carry them to this victory. I mean, just watching Oregon play, I haven't been too convinced by them, so I'm going to take Stanford in this game because they impressed me when they were playing earlier this year. And let's move on to Virginia Tech and Virginia, an in-state rivalry. Um, this will be Virginia's second game since the – Beat down they took against Gonzaga. I'm going to ride at Virginia, the home team here. And really the big thing for Virginia is that outside of the upset loss against San Francisco, this really has been um, the one game they have looked absolutely terrible. Uh, not to discount Kansas State's performance against Virginia since Kansas State, that was a real kind of performance going to Virginia and take that to overtime. Uh, but I think Virginia at some point, they will bounce back. And I just think that they're going to be in for an interesting experience against Virginia Tech, since obviously that is no pushover. Uh, but I am going to uh, ride for Virginia. I think they will definitely get their defense fixed a lot because they need to uh, before they, they play Virginia Tech. And I think the Cavaliers will take it. Commonwealth Cup. 
And Virginia Tech, every year, they pick up one or two wins against either Virginia, UNC, Duke, the top-tier teams in the ACC. I think this is one of them. I think Virginia Tech goes on the road. They pick up this victory. They've played pretty solid basketball ever since getting thrashed by Penn State. And I think their offense is going to be able to keep up with UVA's defense. Uh, I'm going to take the Hokies in this one. Let's move on to Sunday. A couple of pretty solid uh, games from underneath the power conferences. Houston at SMU on Sunday. This will be a very good experience. This is Sunday, January 3rd, by the way, for, for those that would be a little bit confused. They listen to this on a Saturday night or even on, uh, on the Sunday of the 27th. Uh, but SMU and Houston, they are two of the better teams analytically in the American. I'm going to take Houston. They just seem like the best team that's kind of by far and away. And this is the game that, quite frankly, if Houston is going to stay in a top 10 or a top five position, this is one they're going to have to win. And Houston's bound to lose to me at some point. And I think this is a game where they could find themselves in trouble I think SMU gets the job done at home in this game. I mean, I think this could be the only game that Houston loses in the regular season. The Americans not looking so strong, uh, especially now that Connecticut is gone. So I'm going to take SMU in this one. And finally, the Missouri Valley Conference, Loyola, Chicago, and Bradley. Uh, These are two teams that, um, first off, for Loyola, Chicago, they've had a decent run of things in their um, particular non-conference lost a couple of games they could have needed for the resume at Wisconsin then a very close game against Richmond where quite frankly Little Chicago probably should have been in a position to um, get themselves within there they had a very good uh, fourth quarter that game if you're going by quarters but ultimately could not get the job done there on a neutral court and then Bradley they had not been bad as well the, uh, the, the Bradley Braves they've had a few games that they've lost, but they've not had a terrible run of things. So Bradley and Loyola Chicago, where do we see this one? I'm going to give this to Bradley. I mean, I've been picking some upsets on this weekend for sure, but Bradley was right there with Missouri, who was undefeated on the year. Couldn't quite get that victory. I think they they rebound nicely here against Loyola Chicago. And I think this is interesting too. It's the first of a two-game set, which a lot of comments are going to these two-game sets. So It'll definitely be a very interesting first game of the two-game set. This will be the uh, the second such week of that. So um, not for Bradley, but for Loyola-Chicago, they have a two-game set before Bradley against Illinois State. So we'll get a chance to see uh, in the first about three or four weeks how these two-game sets will go. But I'm going to go with Loyola-Chicago. Defensive, offensively, rather, Bradley has a lot of work to do analytically, and it just doesn't quite show up as being the best, especially when you take a little Chicago defense that doesn't allow a lot of teams too many offensive rebounds. Um, they, they do have some problems of allowing some teams to shoot pretty well, uh, but I don't think that'll be much of a problem for Loyola Chicago. I think they'll go on the road at the least take game one, uh, or at least one of the two here for that matter. But for game one of this two game set, I'm going to go with Leo Chicago. And perhaps it'll be very intriguing to see where things go with these two games set. I think that three or four weeks in, we'll have a lot more knowledge on just how those two game sets back-to-back are going to go for a lot of these mid-major conferences. So that'll take care of the Bonanza for this week. Obviously, a lot of people still celebrating after Christmas. They got some, planning out some New Year celebrations, very much adjusted due to the pandemic, but Certainly hope the new year brings in a lot of fun for, for the both of us, for all the college basketball fans. 
Maybe 2021 actually gives us a March Madness. That would be fantastic. Um, 2020. I mean, everything is going well. So Mars and just decided to just be a, a real estate and load of redacted. Let's just keep it at that. For Dominic Stern, I am Nicholas Sodell. Have a fantastic week of college basketball. We'll see you right back here on the next episode of the College Basketball Bonanza.